going to be this morning, Mark chapter 5, there we go, Mark chapter 5, and uh, if you would not mind, when you find that, maybe stand together for the reading of God's Word this morning, if you are able to do so, Mark chapter 5. Please follow along silently as I read aloud. And uh, this passage, we're going to read all the way through the first account here. And then we're going to come back and give you several truths. And I hope that you've come wanting to learn the Word of God. And uh, if right now, if anything's had your mind or your mind's off elsewhere right now, you're in the house of God. These are God's words we have open. Very valuable. Make a decision to learn from them and get what the Lord has for us. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he, that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying, cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion setting, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast, asking Jesus to leave. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil, aren't you glad for past tenses? Prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. And I want to speak to you a few moments this morning on the subject of the peculiar case of the wild man. 
I have chosen to call him the wild man because it said in verse 4 at the end of it that no man could tame him. He tried to tame something which is wild. And uh, the peculiar case of the wild man, and uh, I think we can learn much about our Lord and about what we need to know from him this morning if we'll give our attention to it. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us today and to, to bless the preaching of the Word. Brother Carpenter, why don't you lift up your voice where you are and lead us to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I do thank you for today. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us what we need uh, from this sermon, from this passage, from this truth. Uh, Lord, that we would uh, be better uh, because we came here today. And Lord, that we would be closer to you, uh, that we uh, put, uh, put this uh, concept, this truth in action. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open there. During part of the message, I'm going to give you some references when I, I'll slow at some of the points so you can mark those down. So maybe you'll want to be prepared with something with which to write. If you're familiar with our church, we have a fancy name for pens and pencils, don't we? It's a tubular inscription device. We do that every now and then just to appear very highbrow. But uh, you can get that and get ready. And uh, then uh, when those things come, you can mark those down and study them out later on your own. But let me give you some truths from this amazing account. It's uh, absolutely phenomenal to think about this. And if you uh, read and, and uh, read and think visually as you read, as I do, uh, it's an amazing thing. I can see this huge uh, mega hog farm, as they call it now. And they had it there, and over against the mountains, those mountains, of course, forming on one side the mountains, the other side the sea, uh, forming natural barriers for that, for that large herd, and it would make it easier to control the livestock and that. That was something that was done in, in our western uh, uh, areas of our country before the barbed wire and stuff, where they would try to choose geogra geographical formations to help keep the herds in, that sort of thing. And um, that's these hogs were there along the sea. Jesus comes to the shore of this particular place, Genesaret, and he comes in, and uh, that's the name of a particular place, also of a regional area there. And uh, I've taught on this in detail, and it's, so it's, it's kind of interesting what it takes in geographically. And so he comes and he lands, and as soon as he lands in the ship there, it says immediately this man comes to him and comes running towards him. This is a man that's well known in the area. Everybody knows who this fellow is. He's trouble. And uh, man, there's a long history of a lot of trouble with this guy. And uh, he immediately runs towards Jesus and the Bible says worshiped him. And uh, this man's full of devils. He's got so many that he refers to him as legion. That would have been a telling statement in the time of Roman occupation. Giving some indication of the multitude of uh, devils that were in him. And, uh, and so it's interesting. The word demon is not a uh, Bible word that appears nowhere in the King James Bible. Dagamon means a spirit or something that comes upon somebody. That was a word more uh, introduced by actually Socrates, but it, uh, it could mean any number of things. When the Bible talks about these unclean spirits, it's very, very specific. It calls them unclean spirits or calls them devils. And so you understand the malicious intent and the debauched nature of them in addition to what they are. It's not just a different way of doing things. This is definite evil entity trying to disrupt and destroy lives and in this man's case had been very successful at it he is in a horrible horrible condition i'm going to ask you to think with me just a moment those of you who have children in here and especially those who still have young children i'm now 
the age where my, my boys are sitting here, 29, 25 years old, and have grandchildren in the service in junior church back there. And I'm very grateful. I love this time of life as God has allowed me the graciousness through being a saved man to enjoy each stage of life. And uh, I, I could have never imagined as a dad and would never want to imagine now for my boys uh, for them to see their lives wrecked, ruined, and, and, and destroyed by uh, the devil wanting to, to destroy them. And so if we can think for a moment, and if those of you who have young ones, the, the population of the nursery back here in the little church with the little ones back here, the junior church, the life builders, and all the different ministries going on, if you can imagine those little ones right now who are sitting there, and uh, you know they're all being good, right? They're all participating, right? Exactly right with that? Absolutely. And uh, every one of them, because your children are angels, right? Right? Yeah. Fallen. I mean, they're, and, and but all these, all these uh, kids that we love and are watching. Uh, I, I was watching. I miss your daughter Anna. Anna. I want to say Anna Kista. I've been down to Gatlinburg. Anna. Annalisa. I'm gonna get it right. I promise you. Would you do, seriously do me a favor? Will you write it on a card? And will you give it to me? So I'll get it. I call her Anna something different every time with it. And I want her little ears to hear me say her name right. All right. But I, I know she had her over here so she could watch the piano being played. I assume that's what it was because she has a great love for music. And, uh, and so uh, we can imagine these little ones that are here, and uh, we would never want them to end up in the kind of condition where this fellow was at all. But uh, I'm glad that as de- depraved and debauched as he became because of the influences and whatever all went into his life, I'm glad that when Jesus came, it made all the difference. What a tremendous thing that is. Let me give you just a few things that uh, drew out of this. And uh, early last week, early in, early in the week, uh, as I was praying about what I'd be preaching today and, and trying to seek the Lord on it, and as I was studying and reading at the different times during conference, I, uh, uh, I really felt compelled towards this. And uh, just Mark 5. And so I went over there and I started reading and just things opened up for me. And first thing I saw was this. I want you to look in Mark 5. It says there, uh, as I mentioned to you in verse 2, and when he was come out of the ship, that was Jesus coming out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This man, look what he does. He has an unclean spirit. He's dwelling among the tombs. What a place to live. No man could bind him, so he's constantly in trouble. He was in chains with that. And uh, then he talks about how he'd been bound in verse 4, and no man could tame him. Look at verse 6, what he does. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, the thing I can draw conclusively from this is not all worship is good worship. That's an important statement. People tend to think that using certain biblical words means that that thing's always good. Like somebody says, I have faith. That doesn't tell me anything. Doesn't tell me anything. The Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. Dost thou believe there's one God? Thou doest well. But the devils also believe. They believe in God more strongly than anybody sitting in this room does. And so somebody says, I have faith. Okay. Then the question must be asked, in what or in whom? And people have faith in their faith. Some people have faith in, in religion. Some people have faith in a person. And uh, this sort of thing. So who do you have faith in? The, uh, I hope that you'll pay careful attention. And uh, it is uh, this, thing, this thing of faith. It's the same way with worship. Somebody said, well, okay, you worship. Not all worship is good worship at all. This was not. 
In fact, this fellow who came to him and worshipped him, it was the presence and power of Jesus compelled him towards it. But please notice this fellow was not in good shape because he was worshipping. The Bible is very express in, in showing us he has an unclean spirit, that he is full of devils, literally, that he cannot even be tamed, that he's constantly in, in severe situations of screaming and crying and that all the time. He's in, he's in bad shape. And so, yet, he came to worship. And a lot of people do that sort of thing. Um, you say, well, preacher, how do you get this concept from that? Or do you get it just from that, that not all worship's good worship? No. And these are some of the references you can write down. I'm not going to turn you to all the different references. But in Matthew chapter 15, specifically in verse 9, Jesus said to a crowd that, was, that He was talking to, He said, in vain, you understand that means empty, uselessness. In vain do you worship Me. Why? Teaching for commandments the traditions of men. He said to people, He said, your worship of Me is fruitless. Your worship of Me is empty. It's vain because you have supplanted or you have taken the place of God's commandments with your own tradition. Now, some of you in this room know what it's like to attend a church that had a handbook for church. It came out of the old, old Wesley uh, rules, rules of order and that sort of things with it where they, why they were called Methodists at the time because they had certain methods and those church rules of behavior became so important to people that that was treated way up here and the Bible was put down here. And Jesus said that type of worship is vain worship. That's what Jesus said. Not all worship is good worship. He didn't say you aren't worshiping me. He said in vain do you worship me. Teaching for uh, commandments, the traditions of men. And then in John chapter 4 and verse 22, uh, Jesus spoke to the woman that he met at the well. And he said to her very, very specifically, he said, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He said to her, you have an ignorant worship. Do you know that Lydia, who was the first convert among the Macedonian churches, the first convert at Philippi, that she was with a group of women who went down to the river on a regular basis to worship God, and yet they did not know the true God of the Bible. There are a number of people that, uh, that the Bible talks about where God sent the gospel into them because these people had a heart towards God. They wanted to know who God was, but they need somebody to come and tell them who the true living God was. Not all worship is good worship. You say, what is good worship? Well, Jesus gave us that in John chapter 4 after telling this, this Samaritan woman, you know not what you worship for, uh, for salvation is of the Jews. He said this statement. He said, they that worship God, that's what Jesus said, must, not this is optional or a good way of doing this, here's how it has to happen, must worship Him in two things. You know what they are, church? They're what? In what? Spirit and in what? It can't be haphazard. You can't just throw things together. You can't take thinly cloaked mysticism and mix it with some psychological babble and call it religious worship and it be proper worship. He said it must be in spirit. You have to worship with your spirit. It can't just be soul worship. You say, well, isn't your soul involved? Yes, it is. And I loved it. I told you I, I, was, <laughs> I was preaching funeral. I think, uh, I think Brother Tim was there. Uh, he, oh, he, came, he came to sing. When, when Sister Joanne Carpenter went home to be with the Lord. And of course, she was, had been over here 
in the nursing home. We couldn't get into her in that or in all the uh, crazy kinds of things. And, and so uh, she went on to be with the Lord. And so I was preaching the funeral. And she had some cousins there. And they were there. And it was interesting. They had the whole of Sheridan Funeral Home open. And there were five or six people in the front. And then everybody else was all the way at the back of that. He said, well, they were social distancing. No, they were all gathered up, but they were all back here. So it was kind of wild. That's a long, narrow building when, when people are sitting that way. Well, three people up front, these three ladies, they were absolutely, when the songs were being sung, Brother Tim came, he got time off work, came over and did, did the specials and, 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 and led us in congregational song. They sang along. When I'm preaching, they sang along. I mean, they sang along. <laughs> they sang, tried to sing me down. I think I was down in Kentucky again. Uh, but they, they tried, they, they, they followed along. And uh, afterwards, we came up and I gave a gospel presentation. Well, it turned out these were relatives and such. And they knew the Lord. And they thanked me for preaching the gospel. And the one lady looked at me and it was so funny. She said, we were just at another funeral a couple days ago. And I said, I'm sorry, you had another law. She said, no. She said, I never heard anything. She said, we didn't hear the gospel. She said, I liked you while you were, you were here. She said, you had soul. And I, I got soul. I looked at Brother Tim after they walked past. I said, I got soul. And he goes, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and so we are to worship the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. But soul worship alone is not it. Real, true worship also must be spirit. It's that in us which is born again of the Spirit of God. And it matches who God is. He's a holy God. He's a reverential God. He, he, he's a powerful God. And our worship has to be to Him. I liked one of our speakers. It all becomes a blur after eight days. Who said what? In a lot of times. But someone said exactly what I had asked a question just a couple weeks before. And it was a question I had been asking myself and wanting to know, do I actually worship God regularly? Not just when we're gathered together as a church. Not when the church is gathered in here. But do I worship God? God made me to be a worshiper of Him. So then I have to look at what my gifts are and my callings. God's strengthened me and gifted me in, in the use of language and speaking and that. And that's not a boastful statement. If I'm not apt to teach, I have no business bishoping a church. And so that's what I, I made. That is my main thing is to feed the flock of God. And that's what my main job is according to the Scripture. And so I figured out, I thought, well, I'm supposed to be using those gifts not only to help God's people, but to worship Him. So I should tell him. I should write poems unto God. I like to write poetry. I, I should use these things. Some of you are very musical. I mean, God likes to hear me sing. He talks about me making a joyful noise. But he's got a filter in heaven that makes mine acceptable up there so the angels don't weep. You, some of you all, uh, you naturally, you've, you've been gifted with singing. I'm glad you use it for the Lord's work. I'm glad you use it. And I don't believe, I don't believe we have people coming up here trying to put on a show. Uh, you don't do that. It wouldn't be allowed either. And you don't do that. But here's the thing about it. Do you ever lift your voice up when it's just you and God? God's given you capacity with your hands. You ever rejoice in Him when you can be out there doing that physical, uh, structural work, whatever it is you do, and you're out there where God is? Do you rejoice and worship Him? You see, there's wrong worship. But thank God there's right worship. And all of us can worship God in spirit and truth. Then the second thing I saw, and this was probably one of the things that caught my attention most, uh, what happens was, the people in the area. So we look at this thing that there, there's, there's good worship and there's worship that's not good. But let me say this too. Um, the people in the area knew this man. He'd been like this for quite a while. And uh, I put it down this way. The people in that region were wanting a problem fixed. 
not a man redeemed. There's a lot of application to that. Sometimes when parents are dealing with children, they don't want the child to embarrass them more than they're concerned about training and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The people of that region wanted a problem fixed. They didn't care about having the man redeemed. By the way, this is interesting about this account. You understand when the Lord gave four gospel accounts, or not four gospels, sometimes we'll say it that way, but there are four gospel accounts of the same thing. He shows us different aspects of it from the different gospel accounts. Some things show up in each of them. Some don't show up in all of them. And then some things show up and you get part of the picture in one gospel account, part of the picture in the next gospel account. When you read about this event in Matthew, when you go back to Matthew, is it chapter 8? I believe, yes, Matthew chapter 8. When you go back to Matthew chapter 8, you'll find there were two thugs. It's very specific. Two came out of the chapter. You say, what's that about? Well, there were two of them there. There are two of them in this condition. But it's interesting, when you read the Matthew account, you almost never heard it preached out of it. And the reason why, there's almost no details given. It's just boom, boom, boom. There were these two, and, and Jesus rebuked, then talks about the, the uh, devils going into the, uh, to the pigs, and then they're dead. That's it. This account zeroes in, and the Lord had Mark zero in on the man who responded and who got changed by Jesus Christ. Now, Nate, what happened with the other fellow, we're not told. He could possibly have been set free because the devils were cast out. But can I remind you, that would not be out of place with the rest of the Bible for it to have happened where that fellow was also delivered, but then you don't hear anything more about him. Let me tell you another example of this in the Bible where it shows up. You remember Jesus encountering ten lepers? They all asked to be healed. And Jesus sent them, said, go and, and report to the priest and you're going to be healed. And as they were going, they were healed. When they took the step and did what Jesus said, they were healed. I maybe have at least a vague, uh, vague remembrance of that account. Okay. Nine of them just kept going. You never hear about them again. One did what? He turned around and he came back and he thanked the Lord and he praised Christ for what he had done. And Jesus made the statement. He said, were there not ten healed, where are the nine? And in that account, you have nine out of the ten people. You don't hear anything else about them. And you have the end of that account. Everything you're hearing about is that one person, but ten of them were actually healed. In Matthew, it reveals that two fellas came out of that too. Now think about that. Were these drinking buddies who just went too far over the line and both ended up wiped out? Were these friends who both got into something together, into the occult, into something where it grabbed them? They were both in there? I don't know, but I know two of them came out, and I know this, that in Mark it zeroes in on one of them because he's the one that God ends up doing something with it. So these, these were known. These, were, we, these, were, uh, uh, these men were known, and this man was known. Name was not given. And that kind of detail was not given. But can I say it's safe to assume, since they both were the terms used in Matthew, that they were exceeding fears? Um, with that, in Matthew's account, it says they were exceeding fears. Weird thing happened one time. Well, actually, weird things happened a lot, but this particular time of weirdness. We were driving, we had a, uh, a Christmas 
party for the church over Geneva Hills. And to go back all years here. And we were driving, my wife and I were driving, heading over that direction, and we were actually coming down Lincoln Avenue. We'd come from the church here, we were coming down Lincoln Avenue. And there were a group of people beside the road on Lincoln Avenue. And it was kind of a messy, rainy sort of night and, and that sort of thing. And there was this group of people, they were adults, but you couldn't tell what they were doing. And all of a sudden I looked and realized one of the men, it wasn't that warm at all, it wasn't the severe cold, but it was, you know, it was December, it wasn't that warm. I noticed he was stripped to the waist. He had his back toward him. And I had to slow down for some reason as I did. I still have the mental image clearly in my mind. He turned around, and I'll never forget the wild beast-like look in his eyes. He was kind of a hairy sort of fella. And uh, he, he turned around and just literally like rawr, right at the front of the car. And I actually had to dodge him. And I mean, it's like he was attacking the cars that came by. You say, why didn't you jump out and witness to him? I'll find him and I'll let you. <laughs> and <laughs> I looked at that and here's what I thought. I thought, can you imagine encountering that thing going on? I saw two people trying to scream and I didn't know what they were going to do to each other. I was literally watching. I thought I was going to get in line of fire down here at Delmont Road 22. Since that marathon station's in there, the amount of traffic right there is incredible and there's been a lot of wrecks. And this one guy was getting tired of somebody waiting to turn left and he started screaming and yelling and, and, and cussing and all this at him. And the guy in front of him jumped out of the car. And I had old Bubba behind me. I mean, this was a serious Bubba. And he was sitting there and I don't think he was expecting that guy to do it. And the guy jumped out. I don't know. He looked like that other guy's cousin. But he was tensed up like this. You can see every muscle. He also was shirtless. And he jumped out. His eyes are about that big. And he literally starts jumping like this. Come on! I got a piece of you! Get out of that car! Right now! Come on! Right now! I'll drag you out of that tent! I'm going to jerk your head off and stick your throat! I mean, he's just going on like that. And I'm behind Bubba. And I'm going, I just want to go home. <laughs> And I'm thinking, please don't shoot this man. I'm in the line of fire. And uh, Bubba didn't say anything else. And then, you know, then another guy came by this way. And then he yelled at the guy. The guy jumped out of the car again. And he's going after that car. And I thought, I just want to go home. And, uh, and I was about ready to put it in reverse and go up to Westfall Road. But they they just screaming wild. And I'm sitting there watching this guy. And he's just, Aah! and he was slightly built, maybe 140, 150 pounds. I'm thinking, he looks like somebody I could take. I wouldn't mess with him. For love nor money, as my mama used to say. He, that guy looks dangerous. Can I tell you what? They were exceedingly fierce. These were dangerous people. Now this is to the point. Watch what happens with the group of people in that region. The Bible says people both in the city and in the country. They were exceeding fierce. Now think about these things. They dwelt in the tombs and in Matthew chapter 8 where it says they were exceeding fierce, it says no man could pass by that way because of it. Think of the implications of that. Someone cannot go lay a flower on their loved one's grave without wondering if one of these men's will come out of the tomb. Can you imagine trying to have a funeral for somebody and you don't know if these folks are going to show up? Can you imagine not being able to go by and just pay your respects if you wanted to? But not only that, Jesus, they had just landed 
along the, that shoreline. So apparently it's a, it was a place that was commodious for small ships to land and to unload and back and forth. And yet that was impeded. It says people couldn't even go by without getting attacked. How much of a problem would that be? What's it become like when you see a neighborhood or something go down where you're not going to go there and shop anymore? Why? Because people are getting mugged, people are getting shot, this and that. They're not going to do it. And these people were just attacked. They were exceeding fierce. These people were devil-possessed and were absolutely, this man here was, was absolutely unbelievable with it. What about this? It says he was in the mountains day and night crying cutting himself and all that. Can you imagine going out and you walk along the mountain and you run into this out in the mountain? Well, I just finished a book this week called Shadows in the Dark and it's about grizzly bears in, in uh, Alaska and a fellow that had, had uh, uh, been a guide up in that area and that sort of thing. And uh, it's pretty amazing. He talked about what your nerves get like when you're in an area that is heavily, uh, heavily uh, populated by grizzly bears and not knowing when you come around the corner if you're going to run into one or not. And uh, you're talking about these different things with it. And uh, anyway, it was, uh, that's what it had been like with these people. Well, we're going to go up over that way. Well, what if you run into them? Ladies wouldn't have felt good. Men wouldn't have been, I mean, it just wasn't safe. Now, they wanted a problem fixed. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, look what it says there. Look in verse uh, 3, beginning there said it had his dwellings among the tombs. Now watch what this says, and, and then think about this. And no, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Well, do you know how they knew that, don't you? They tried it. They'd done it. There had been some kind of effort done to corral this man, to stop his reign of terror there. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, you say, oh, they did get some money. Yeah, they got some money. Look at the terminology. And the chains had been plucked asunder. It's not just snap, he just takes them. Look, if you just put chains on somebody and they look at you and do this and pop them, run. Run, run quickly. Run determinedly. Run without looking back because he may be gaining. Yeah, no, I'm sure because he's fictional. This guy was real. And fetters were broken in pieces. Neither, watch this, could any man tame him. That jumped out at me this time. I believe this old boy had been through counseling. Seriously. Because it's different than the restraints. They weren't trying to tame him by putting restraints on him. They were trying to keep him from being loose. But apparently, someone tried to reason with him. Someone tried to work with him. Someone tried to do whatever with him. I'd like to have this one for a patient. Other than a constant source of income, that'd be rough. And so, the efforts have been made to fix the problem. And that's not the way it happened. But yet, when Jesus came, He was cured. And what did the people do? Hey, man, good deal. Look at him. Isn't that great? Now, boy, that guy was in bad shape. I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's, he's okay now. Boy, I'll tell you what, isn't that nice to see that happen to him? Boy, what a change Jesus made. That wasn't a reaction at all. People came from the city and the country. They came down and they saw the dead hogs. They saw this guy there. And you know what they said? They looked at Jesus and they said, Leave. 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 We don't want you around here. See, they didn't want a man redeemed. They wanted the problem fixed. 
They didn't want him reclaimed. They wanted him. They didn't want him annoying them. Let that sink in for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Instead of rejoicing, instead of praising Jesus for what he did, they asked Jesus to leave. There have been people who have divorced other people because that person got saved and quit partying and quit running and quit drugs and quit, quit all that stuff. And they've had their, their spouse leave them because they said, that's not what I married. I'm looking for that. And when the person's life got turned around, when the filth was gone, they didn't want anything with them because rather than, rather than have it affect them where they might get right, they so loved their sin that they said, I'll get rid of you. That's not fictional. And so this is, this is an amazing thing. They ask Him to depart. And the, the term that's in verse 17, they begin to pray Him to depart. So let me add to it without, without uh, elaborating on it. The chapter shows that there is wrong worshiping and there's wrong praying. And indeed there was. They prayed. The devils prayed to Jesus. He, he gave them their request. These folks prayed to Jesus. He gave them their request. He left. The man who got right prayed to Jesus. He told him no. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, I work. I preached a message a while back entitled "The Best Answer Was No." You can look that up on one of the podcasts, YouTube, or, or something, and, and and it'll instruct you about that. But then let me say to you today: Jesus delivered him from the devil's destructive, degenerative designs. Remember me talking to you at the beginning about this thing of devils. I love the line in Martin Luther's great song, A Mighty Fortress, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to unto us. Who not to fear, for God hath willed His Word to triumph through us. And I love that line. And what is it? There was a design. Do we really believe that we have an adversary of our soul? God calls Him our adversary. God gives His motive that He seeks whom He may devour. Not just maul, not just damage, but devour. And yet we flippantly go along as if that's not real. And in a day of Disney uh, derangement and thinking, and a day where the people think that devils are some kind of a cartoon type thing, what has happened even among God's people who claim to be Bible believers, they no longer believe that there are evil spirits and there is a devil who seeks to destroy mankind. And he's real. Perhaps you've not been in spiritual combat. Perhaps you've not seen some of the things. But it is very, very real. As I find, my friend. Jesus delivered him from the devil's destructive, degenerative design. Look what kind of condition he's in after Jesus takes care of him. First of all, they come back together, and let's look at the passage here. The people come out to see him, and look in verse 15. And they come to Jesus. And see him that was possessed. I mentioned as I was reading, thank God for past tense. I love it in the scripture where it talks about people involved in all sorts of sins of the flesh and of the spirit. And it says, and such were some of you, but now ye are. I like that. This is what you were, but now you're something different. And thank God for that change. And it says, was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Look at him. He's sitting, he's clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid by what they saw there with that. Uh, let me say to you, he was sitting. When Jesus delivered him, he was finally at peace. He finally could sit still. He finally could, could uh, be at peace with 
the Lord and who he was and, 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 and uh, the fact that God had done something for him. Then the second thing, notice he was clothed. Remember the condition he was in when he first came out of this tomb? It says he wear no clothes. He just he was running around and absolutely uh, in a shameful condition. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, and then clothing was introduced into the human race at that point. And before that, it said that the men and wife were naked, but they were not ashamed. Sin was not there. It was a time of innocence. Once sin was entered in, which it still is here, clothing was immediately put in place and needed to be put in place. Adam said we covered ourselves because we were ashamed. The Bible has many references talking about that the shame of your nakedness not appear. It defines that. Nakedness is the upper thigh area up here. It's the upper area of the body. And these things are nakedness. are not to be exposed. And so this, this shame is attached to it. And God said, I've given you something better than this. He found this guy in a very bad situation here with it. And uh, he, uh, he didn't wear no clothes because he, he didn't have any that were available. But that's where he had went to as far as his uh, destructive life. Um, the devil, and this, this is interesting for you to get, the devil will always seek to demean and debase you. He really will. He will seek to demean you. He will seek to debase you. He will seek to bring shame upon you. Make you filthy. That's not God's way. In fact, in the Old Testament, one of the names for the devil is Beelzebub. Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Beelzebub means the lord of flies has to do with filth. The Bible says we're to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Now, unfortunately, men have chosen to be silent on issues of this type of filthiness from the pulpit instead of teaching their people the good and the right way and addressing what needs addressed. The devil will always seek to demean you. He will always seek to take you to a lesser place. He'll chew you up and there'll be nothing left. God, on the other hand, will always seek to bring you up. He will always seek you uh, seek to build. He will always seek to strengthen. He will always seek to move you forward. He'll bring you up in the matters of cleanliness, order, decency. See, these things are like God. He, 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 he does distinction between male and female. Modesty. These are all things the Bible deals with. Why? Because God is forever interested in bringing His children to a better way of living and a way that is honoring and reflects, watch it, the God who we say lives inside of us. Isn't it interesting in the Bible verse in the New Testament where it deals with women in modest apparel, it says, it, it makes a great emphasis there uh, before that about men lifting up holy hands. So it's a worship towards God out of holiness. And then it says in like manner, and then it talks about these things, and it says giving uh, that she would be showing the hidden man of the heart. What is that? In other words, the outward is supposed to reflect the inward. Could I say something more straight to you than that? The outward does reflect the inward. Now, the outward can reflect the uh, an inward that's not not knowledgeable, doesn't know anything yet. In other words, you can have someone who who's uh, um, their outward doesn't reflect the Lord Jesus Christ properly, but they don't know anything yet. And once they learn something good, they'll follow what's good. But 
it reflects an inward poverty of that which is good. Um, you ever meet somebody and, and you know right away they're, they're a believer? Their countenance, their eyes, the way they do things, you suspicion it and you're like, man, there's something about that. Their responsiveness, you just had a happy occasion talking with someone as soon as I brought up the Bible, man, they just lit up. They're like, hey, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. They, they were excited. They were excited about it. It just gave them away. Well, that's the way it is. And as a child of God, as you learn more and more about following the Lord, if you'll take the steps that God's put out there for you, you're going to find more and more to rejoice in. You're going to find a more rich and a more full life in following Him. Now, let me uh, talk to you about these things. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, the, uh, I'm going to give you several references here. And here's where I said I'm going to slow down and let you write these. And uh, you, can later, you can later reference them. Uh, let me give you these. Just write them down if you can there. If you have trouble writing stuff, I can give you a copy of them after the service. But listen to these references, okay? We're not going to turn to all these. Psalm 102, verse 26. Just mark these down if you can. If not, I'll get them to you. Psalm 102, and verse 26. Isaiah, chapter 50, verse 9. Are some of you getting deaf? As a young person, I'd be writing right now. Your preacher's giving you the Word of God on something that's important in your life. You ought to study it for yourself. If you study it and put the effort into it, that means you may plan on doing something with it. Isaiah 50, verse 9. Isaiah 51, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 11. I just put those. There were many, but I thought I'd give you those. So that's Psalm 102, verse 26. Isaiah 50, verse 9. Several of you writing, I'm glad. 51, verse 6. Hebrews 1.11. Those passages refer to garments waxing old. It's a term waxing means getting, you know, getting further and further along. And uh, pretty amazing, uh, in the book of Numbers, there passage in, in Numbers deals with the fact in Numbers chapter 9 it deals with when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Remember they were, that wasn't supposed to be a 40 year deal to get from Egypt over to Canaan land. That wasn't supposed to take 40 years. It took 40 years because of disobedience and unbelief specifically. Well, they're out there at that time and it's interesting in Numbers chapter 9 it says that the whole time they were in the wilderness that their clothes wax not old. How much money you could save if we had that going now? <laughs> but you talk about a great miracle. I mean, the water needed to sustain that many people, and God provided that. Um, the food He provided and all that. But man, the clothes just stayed. And they're traveling. And they're in an environment which isn't particularly good for fabric and that sort of thing. And so they it, it, it wax not old. It did not it did not deteriorate on them while they were traveling. Why? Because God wanted to keep His people clothed and keep them clothed properly during the whole time of that, that uh, journey between Egypt and Canaan land. Okay? Interesting with this. I gave you those references. I hope you wrote them down. And it did. And by the way, when your preacher's saying to you, you need to write this down, that you need to get in the habit of doing these things. Because not being in the habit of doing those simple things that you're being taught to do 
will reflect in you not taking what you're being taught to do and, and, and making it part of your life. If you're not careful then, what you'll do is you'll have a church Christianity that's not affecting your day-by-day living. And, and that's a bunch of nonsense. We're supposed to be serving the Lord. And so, uh, with this, the, uh, let me give you an idea of what, what this idea of them waxing old, what God did not allow His children to have to put up with. Tattered, worn, full of holes, in a state of decay and destruction. In other words, as I mentioned to you, the outside is supposed to mirror the inside. We belong to God. Think of this verse that says, whose glory is in their shame. That's the condition mankind gets to where they glory in things that are shameful things. Things they ought to be embarrassed about. Things they ought to not want to be a part of. That becomes their glory. They're proud of it. Proud, proud of their vulgarity. Proud of their whatever. And, and, and it should be things that make them ashamed and hang their head. Um, don't be deceived into, into demeaning yourself. The, the, it can happen in a hurry. Uh, just as Jesus had something much better for this man than shame, which was his nudity, despair, the Bible says he was always crying, self-mutilation, he was cutting himself. People do it with cutting now. It's a very common thing. A number of people who've sat in this auditorium and do set now have victory over it who've cut themselves with sharp objects over and over and over again. The cutting of themselves. And then sometimes they do it with the, with the uh, needle of the tattoo maker or whatever, the marking all over themselves. The uh, self-mutilation. Death, which was dwelling among the tombs. Conflict and chaos. He was often bound. Jesus had something much better for this man, man than that. Do you understand the whole region knew this fella, and all they wanted to do was get them get him out of their hair. Just wanted to clean up the streets. Get rid of the riffraff. Get rid of that bad element that's running house prices down. Running real estate prices down. We can't even get good visitors coming in uh, in this area. Because every time they try to come and land on that part of the shore, these fellas come out at them. We gotta do something about this guy. Why? He's hurting our commerce. He's hurting our happiness. He's hurting our, our ability to be out and about. And they did not look at him as a human being that was made in the image of God that had become so destroyed and needed the touch of Christ to make him better. First onset of sin, man trusted his own fashion. Remember that? Fig leaves. Fig leaves. They were all the rage this fall. Problem with fig leaves is they eventually fall. And by the way, the Bible's specific. They were aprons. They were a partial covering. They were unacceptable. There were other issues with the two that had to do with the blood, and that's the deeper doctrinal theological issue. But God made them coats of skins. That's pretty good. He said, I don't think I'd want a coat of skin. You don't like I like a well-made leather jacket. You know? I don't want to look like the leader of the pack. That's not my style. But I like the bomber type jackets. I've never been in a bomber, but I like them. And, and you know, that kind of uh, leather that looks like it's worn just a little bit looks nice. I think those are neat. I really did. And uh, the, uh, um, I got a real expensive one. It was, it was made out of small animals. It said fox leather, leather. leather. I think they misspelled it F-A-U-X, but it was fox leather, amen? And uh, <laughs> really enjoyed that one. <laughs> you said, what are you talking about? Never mind, I'll get you one. Um, <laughs> and so... Ever since then, God's been, God's been working on it. When the prodigal 
returned from the hog pen. I bet he smelled good, didn't he? I bet his clothes were in good shape. Uh, when the prodigal returned from the hog pen, what was the first thing his father, after he hugged his neck, still smelling the hog, isn't it? But what's the first thing he gave him? His best robe. He said, you get the best thing. He said, I'm going to tell you what, you get the best thing we have and put on him because this is my son and my son needs to look like my son. He needs to show that he's loved by his father. Can I, always say, can I say to you, why don't we decide in our life to realize we need to show that we're loved by our father and that we love our father? Don't let the devil demean you. God has something so much better for you. He really, really does. When God appeared to Jacob in Genesis 35 and sent him to Bethel. By the way, Bethel means the house of God. Jacob told his family and servants, be clean and change your garments. God appeared to Jacob. Jacob said, uh, God said, go back to Bethel. You go to the house of God where you met me. And, and Jacob turned around to his servants and to his family and said, we're getting cleaned up now and we're putting on our Sunday best. We're going to the house of God. We need a lot of that. Then, uh, the garments of the priests. By the way, the Bible says we're made priests and kings in Christ Jesus. They are described in detail... And then in Exodus, Aaron's garments, here's what's said about him, his garments consecrated him that he may minister unto God in the priest's office. And so they, they, they were part of what he had to do. Ecclesiastes says, let thy garments be always white. In that verse dealing with being clean, being spotless. James tells us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world as part of a pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. Isaiah 52 speaks of Zion having beautiful garments. Uh, Isaiah 61.10, it talks about being clothed with garments of salvation. Jude 1 verse 23 says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. 1 Peter 5, 5 talks about being clothed with humility. Revelation 3, 5, 4, 4, 7, 9, 15, 6, and 19, 14 all talk about being clothed in white garments. Say, preacher, one thing I can't do now, what's that church member? I can't walk out of church and say, preacher was giving his opinion. Because preacher's not giving his opinion. He's teaching you Bible. And I'm trying to teach you that the devil will demean you and make you less than what God designed for you to be. Don't accept that. Don't, 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 don't say that's okay. You get what God has for you. And you, 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 you live for Him. And then finally, let me say to you, He was in His right mind. I love that. <laughs> he had the right focus, didn't He? You know where all His focus was according to everything we can see there, Brother Jeff? He was looking at Jesus. I mean, just from that point on, he doesn't seem to even notice the crowd or anything. He's just focused on Jesus. Well, why wouldn't he? Can you imagine whatever part of it was inside that man, Kaylee, that he ran down to meet Jesus and then turned around and said, don't torment me? So he had this conflict. But there was somebody in there that wanted Christ. He had both going. And those devils, but yet part of them trying to get to Christ. And once Christ had released him of that, once he had the answer that could only come from Christ, he just his focus was on Jesus Christ. That's all he was interested in. And I thank God for it. It's amazing stuff. I have some happy memories going through my mind of people's lives I've seen and some things that have been a blessing about this type of thing. Then he had the right process. His mind was working right. Do you know that sin actually hardens the mind? The Bible speaks that. Pride literally hardens the mind. It literally changes the way the operation works. And uh, God gets it back on the right process. Boy, you've seen people whose minds and stuff are all messed up and then God will give them back 
Give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise. It, what do it God, God, God uh, He brings the process back. And then He had the right values. By the way, remember what it said about Him? And no man could tame Him? You ready for this? This is quick. Catch it. Nate, He didn't get tamed. He got redeemed. There's a difference. Reformation theology will tame you. Salvation teaching will redeem you. He didn't just have a change of behavior pattern. He was a new creature. I bet a lot of people were glad. And then let me say to you about this. Look quickly. Verses 19 and 20. Let's finish out there. In verse 17, the people had prayed or asked, requested Jesus to leave their area. Verse 18, Jesus gets into the ship. That's funny, he never made it far in on that shore, did he? He got right there and that guy came out right on him and all this happened. And Jesus right back on the ship. Look what happens here. And then uh, they, they began to pray him to depart their coast. In verse 18, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. You see, Jesus is loading up, disciples are loading up, and this fellow says, Can I go with you? Oh, please, let me get it. I, there's nothing here for me. Can, can I please go with you? It's funny. The devil's prayed him, and he, he answered their prayer and said, "Go on into the hall." Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, um, folks asked him, prayed him to leave. He answered that one. This fellow who's gotten right says, "Can I go with him?" Jesus says, "No." That's that's what happens next. Look in verse nineteen. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. He said, "No, you can't come with me." Here, guys, wanted to climb the ship with him, Craig, and he's like, "Nope, can't come right now." But look what he says. But say unto him, "Go home. Go home." Go home to thy friends. Ah, there's some of them back here. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Now wait a minute. Did these people of the Genesaret area, did they allow Jesus to keep coming in on their coast and, and teach and bring the multitudes together? Not at all. Not at this time. They sent Him off. And Jesus said, they're sending me away, but you can go to the people you know and tell them what I have done for you. Wow. The way I put that down and, and when I was writing things out and looking at it, Jesus sent him to do the most good. He who had been such a fountain of corruption now had rivers of living water springing forth from him. Look at the rest of the verse there. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee. In verse 20, and he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. Decapolis is not a town. Decapolis is ten towns. Decapolis. It was a central city that was largest, and it was the ten outline, that, or nine outline that were around that. Decapolis was a name of that regional name as well as the name of a particular place. What was he dealing with? He went to every place. He ran all over that area. I want to tell you what happened. Don't you think this guy was known? Don't you think he was known all around? I mean, they, people in the city knew him. People in the country knew him. And what did he do? Jesus said, they're not letting me stay. You go tell them what I did for you. You go tell them what the Lord did for you. I love this also. This has been the doctrine for you. Look at verse 19. Jesus said, tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And then verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. He knew Jesus was the Lord. 
And he made that statement. And all men did marvel. Later on, you'll see Jesus comes in, lands back in that same region, and people come to hear him. Why? Because someone whose life had been so shattered and so degraded and so demeaned, Christ had compassion on them. And Christ made something different out of him. And it became a vessel used of God. What an incredible account of what went on. Let me pray with you, all right? Father, thank you for your words this morning. Thank you for the attentiveness of your people listening to them. May we listen, really listen, with our hearts, with our spirits, Lord, being willing to be instructed. May we tell others what great things you've done. Lord, if I've spoken to someone this morning in this room that is not your child, they're part of the congregation this morning, but they're not part of the church. They're the real church, Lord. They're not yours, bought by your blood. Would you give them that same Holy Spirit conviction that you gave me so many years ago? Would you show them their need and may they set aside whatever it is that's hindering them? Lord, whether it be fear or love of sin, may they set it aside as nothing, Lord, and realize they need you. God, I pray that you'll help your people to be a people determined to live in your fullness and know what it means to be brought up to a better and higher living by you. Bless, please, this invitation for your own purposes, please. Amen. Let's stand together. We have a song of invitation. Maybe something ought to bring to the Lord this morning. You don't know Christ as your Savior. A dozen people in the room that can take a Bible, take time with you, and show you how to have faith in Christ, how to follow Him. The song begins to play. Would you come this morning? At this church, the altar is always open. You don't have to wait till invitation to start. Remember when as a teenager when I received the Lord, there were so many things. Thank God I had a preacher that was a straight Bible preacher who didn't mince words, didn't beat around the bush, just gave the Word of God out. Boy, there were things I came in and I found out about I had no idea the Lord wanted to touch those and that there was a different way of doing things. I was brought up in a good home, a good moral home, a respectful home, hardworking. But yet, the Lord's ways is a better way of living. And uh, learning those things separated me out from my friends in high school. I knew them and all that. I had some good friends. Man, I look back realize how much damage and destruction that I was spared because of the Word of God. And just learning to follow it. I, re- I will guarantee you any regret I have in life is attached to a time of disobedience of the Word. Now there's sorrows and those are part of what we have on this earth. But regrets are always attached to a point of disobedience. Let me pray with you. I'll not detain you further, but I, uh, I am going to pray now and I am praying in my heart that uh, God takes the fullness of this message to your heart. Brother Jenkins pre- picked up on something right away and I didn't talk to him about it. 
uh, we had some discussion as he was going to the airport. I picked him up real early on uh, Thursday, and we stopped and got some food uh, there in Canal. Then his, his flight was a little later, and uh, but prior to that, we didn't talk about anything as far as details of the church and all this and that. But he kept telling you, and kept bringing in his preaching. What has God got for Lighthouse here? So he just did that. He's preaching. Eh, there, there's something different about it. God's wanting to do something. God's wanting to do something. 